I need to take some time to introduce the beginning of this week's sermon. We're starting with a testimony from one of our youth. His name is Zach, and he's a senior in high school. Zach is six foot nine, and he already has a basketball scholarship lined up next year at Ferris State University. But Zach has been hampered with a nagging broken bone in his foot that has kept him from playing basketball his senior year for his high school team, up until now, which is the first game of the district tournament. Zach has been faithful in his prayer life, and he's obeyed scripture by coming before the elders of this church and others to be prayed for for healing. This is Zach's unsolicited testimony that he gave during the praise and worship time of our service this week. For the past six months, I've had a broken foot, and that's taken away one of the, some, one of the most important things to me, and that's basketball, that's my sport, and that's what I do. For the longest time, all I could do was question why I didn't get healing in December, why I wasn't healed, and why I rebroke it in November. And um, we went to multiple doctors, and we finally went to a really good doctor, and um, he looked at it, and he basically told me that my season was over. And it hit hard. And he gave us a couple of options. And he said, either you can get surgery two weeks from now, or we can wait to see if it heals. But either way, you're out. It had been like five months right there, and I just wanted it to be over with, so I was I wanted to get surgery. But I wanted God's input. And so I was seeking God, and I was looking in the Bible, opened it to a random page, pointed it at a random spot. It was Isaiah 30, 18. I can't quote it word for word. It's a long paragraph, but it basically said, Blessed are those who wait on the Lord. I went to my parents, and I told them about it. I said, I can't get the surgery. I had to wait on God. And this past Thursday, I went to the doctor. And I had prayed a lot about it that day. And I decided to plant a mustard seed. Because in the Bible it says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. I, I packed up all my practice stuff in my shoes and put it in my car like I was going to practice that day. I brought, and so I had a boot on, and I brought my other shoe. I carried it into that doctor's office, and I looked at my dad. I said, I'm going to walk out in this shoe. We were sitting in the doctor's office, and I heard something outside of the doctor's office. I heard the doctor say something about no restrictions to a nurse. He came in, and he showed us the x-ray. He said, it looks healed right here. It looks like you can play on it. And I'm going to let you play with no restrictions. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I went and played that day. And I moved a mountain. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. How great is our God. Amen. We serve a great God. Amen. 
Zach, thanks for sharing that testimony. Thanks for building up our faith this morning with that. That's an awesome testimony. And it's your story, man. Don't ever forget it. That testimony will go through all your life, and you're going to be able to recount this day. Down the road, when you have other things face you that are bigger than this, you're going to say, my God heals. My God heals. Good job. Proud of you, man. Thank you, Jesus. Meet Bob. Bob's been coming to church for a while now. Amidst the busyness of work and life, he wants to grow closer to the Lord, but he feels like something's missing. He reads his Bible, well, sometimes. He's attending a home group and even listening to podcasts of old sermons. But try as he might, he just feels like something's missing. Then Bob heard a teaching on giving financially. He felt a little convicted, knowing that he and his family were not regularly tithing 10%. But he wondered, does God really command me to give the first 10% to the church? Does the church really even need the money? What's in it for me? Why should I give? Bob decided to dig a little deeper and look into it for himself. So he opened his Bible and really didn't know where to look. So he Googled Bible passages about money. He was very surprised to find a large number of verses about tithing and not just in the Old Testament. Jesus himself taught about tithing to the local church. Now Bob was really feeling convicted. He was beginning to see why the tithe was so important. It wasn't about the church needing money or trying to scam him in some way. It was a question of the heart. Bob repented of his disobedience and he started to return the first 10% of his income to God. He was pleasantly surprised to see breakthroughs in many areas of his life. His relationship with his children, his marriage, and even his finances began to improve. Bob thought back to one of the verses that he'd read about the time. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out my blessing upon you. Amen. This morning I want to speak on tithing. And I want to speak on this from, from the purpose of God's plan of, of blessing. This is God's plan of blessing for our lives, just so you know that. And I want to be very careful here because I know that, that tithing is a touchy subject. But giving is an amazing concept. And the more that I've researched it, and the more that I've studied it, and the more that it's been a part of my life, the more amazed I am at the concept of giving. It is one of those age-old concepts that even though it may have a lot of political problems with it, it may have a lot of negativity associated with it, it may have a lot of lies tied to it, God's truth is all about giving. I I know that whenever we come into a setting like this, this is a one-room schoolhouse. We have kindergartners and we have grad students in one setting, and we're trying to hit the mark for everybody. And I want you to think, and I want you to know that giving is one of these topics that the kindergartner hears and needs to hear it, as well as the grad student needs to hear it again and again, because there's so much to glean about from God's word on giving. Giving can be, in its simplest form, very, very easy and very basic, and at the same time, it can be be very complicated. It's something that little children need to be taught, and at the same time, it's a topic that old people need to hear about over and over again. It's a subject that can be used, overused, and abused. Or it can be neglected and never spoken about. And each one of those are doing a disservice to the hearer. Sometimes giving can be considered a one-time message that say, we just want to 
hype you all up emotionally because we need a big offering, and so we're just going to talk about giving for one big deal. But that's not biblical. And this is not an emotional appeal whatsoever. I'm trying to control my tone of voice. I'm trying to control my presentation on this because I do not want this ever to be considered guilty or condemning or to be something you're not doing a good enough job of. So please, don't, don't ever take what I'm talking about that way if you can. And if I, if I come across that way, I apologize. That's not my intent. So I'm really doing my best to keep this thing very non-judgmental and very open to God to walk, to speak through us. Our text and memory verse for this week is Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now I know that that giving and tithing is a very personal topic. And, um, and it should be a personal topic in its simplest form. But yet, it has very public connotations associated with it. Um, it's private in this regard and that God doesn't ever expect everyone to give the same amount. God is not expecting you to give what your neighbor gives any more than God gave you the same gifts as he gave your neighbor. We're all different, aren't we? We're all different in our, in our emotional makeup. We're different in our uh, social makeup. We're different in our financial abilities. We're all different. So God is never asking you to give a certain amount that would keep up with the guy next to you. So just take the pressure off that. This is not a comparison issue. This is not something that we're competing with anybody over at all. Rather, God knows your financial situation. He knows your emotional, emotional situation. He knows your spiritual situation. He knows your family situation. And those are all part of giving. Those are all part of understanding what the, big, the, the overall package is. And he knows that. No one else knows it. I don't know it. No one else knows who you are, what you are, what you are capable of. That's the private aspect of giving. So don't feel compelled to give to keep up with someone else. Don't feel compelled that you have to keep up in your giving to look good in front of people. First of all, you need to understand, I never know who gives what. There's a few men in this church that do, that count the money, but you're not out to impress them. Or me if I knew. You're not out to do that. That's not what giving is. God alone understands your situation, and he knows how much you should give. He knows what your obligations are, what what your capabilities are. And he knows. And your challenge is to find out from the Lord what that number is. Now, we're going to talk about tithing today. Tithing is 10%. But we're also talking about offerings. And offerings are over and above the tithe. On the public side of giving, we see Jesus as a perfect giver. He was publicly giving in everything of his life. That was his very nature. Jesus was very open about his giving. He never, I don't think you can search scriptures and ever find one place where Jesus was concerned about himself over a person. If you can, show me. I would like to know that. Jesus spoke the words in Acts 10.35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You see, he knew a little bit something about giving, and his life proved it. 
He said it was more blessed to give than to receive. And I don't know where you're at in life, but I know that when you are on the receiving end because you have to be, it's a very humbling experience. I would much rather be the person that could give the money <laughs> than the person that has to receive the money. It's a blessing to be able to give. See, giving was the central agenda in the life of Christ while he walked this earth. Everything he did revolved around it. He gave us a relationship with his Father. Jesus is the giver of the relationship to God. He showed us how that we are to do unto others as we are to have them do unto us. That's a form of giving of ourselves unto others. He showed us how we are to serve others. And he showed and by proving how he was a servant among servants. How he washed the feet of the people that should have been washing his feet and doing much more for him. But yet he was the one that did that. And ultimately, he laid down his life to save ours. What, that is the ultimate form of giving and that he gave, us, he gave his life. That was his purpose. He came to do that. So if giving was such a central part of Christ's life, why is it such a difficult topic for us today? If we are Christ-like, if we are Christians, ever growing closer to Christ, and if it was such a basic element and such a foundational um, platform of life for Jesus that he was just to give and give and give, why? Why is it so difficult for us to give? I think one of the obvious things are that it is hard. Even though God's designed it this way, it has a hard component to it. And to answer why it's hard to give, maybe we need to ask a couple questions. Let me ask you the question. What's the opposite of giving? Tell me. It's right on your paper. Or shout it out. What's the opposite of giving? What? Taking, keeping, hoarding, greed, selfishness. All of these words are the opposite of giving. Now, when do you think giving, when do you think the first occurrence of giving that it was hard to do? When, go back to history. When do you think it was the first time it was hard for man to give? Yeah, do you think that when Adam and Eve were created, do you think it was hard for them to give to each other? Adam and Eve created in the garden pre-fall, pre-apple, <laughs> was it hard for Adam and Eve to share? No, why? Because they were what? How were they created? In the image of God. God is a giver. He's the giver of life. He's the giver of all things. So Adam and Eve certainly didn't have a problem with giving. So when did giving become hard? After they sinned. Yeah. All of a sudden, the devil comes in who is the taker, the imitator, the deceiver, the twister of everything that God says good. As soon as he came into their life, all of a sudden, something changed in the heart of a man when it came to giving. And all of a sudden, giving became hard. Sin caused giving to be difficult. All those words we talked about, greed, lust, selfishness, go read in God's word, go Google them, or go home to your Bible concordance and look them up, and you will find that every one of those words are associated with sin and associated with those that are not going to be in heaven. 
There's not going to be a selfish person in heaven. There's not going to be a greedy person in heaven. Why? Because we have to be delivered from that. We have to, be, we have to rid our life of the sin of selfishness. And the way we do that is to a heart of giving. The way we do that is having God's heart come back through us, and that's only done through a supernatural experience called salvation. You cannot be a true giver on your own, even though some people are givers in their own right. Maybe they have a lot, and maybe they're free with their money. Maybe they give a lot. But that's not getting the true riches of heaven because we don't have Jesus first. Jesus talked about it. He said in Luke chapter 12, 15, he said, He said unto them, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, 5 and 6, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and here's that big word, greed, which is what? What is greed? A form of what, according to the Scripture? Idolatry. In other words, putting something ahead of God, making an idol out of something, is greed. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Wow. I don't know about you, but I don't want the wrath of God on my life. Do you? Do you really want the wrath of God at all? No. So how do we, get, how do we not let that happen by being obedient. See, God has a plan for our lives that's different than what the world would have, different than what the enemy would have, and, and that is to be a giver. As we learn to give more and more, he promises to give more and more back to us. And now this is not a get-quick-rich get scheme. This is, not a, this is not any type of a hyper-faith scheme. This is not a church scam scheme. This is just teaching God's word God gives back to those that give. And he does give back in like kind. If you give in money, he will give money. But more importantly, he can give lots of other things back, like health and strength and peace and security and, and family relationships and church relationships and, and just a proper relationship with God. And all of these things are, in all honesty, more important than money anyways. Because how many people that we, have we heard about, maybe you even know some of these people that are, that are filthy rich, but not happy. Have it all, but aren't contented. A rich man never has enough, always needs more. He's a very competitive person, probably. And he's got to get more than the next guy. If, he, if he's rich, he's got to make sure he's richer than Joe. Otherwise, he's competing with Joe again. So money is not it. Yet, God says, if you give, I will give back. Our memory verse for last week, does anybody remember it? Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There is a whole sermon right there in conditional blessings. And we're going to talk about that another day. But God's blessings to us are very conditional. Hear me on this. Salvation is conditional only on the grace of God. Salvation is only on my 
faith in Jesus Christ and my forgiveness and his forgiveness of my sins. But day two is blessings of God. Day three, day four, day through eternity is based upon God's blessings, based upon what? My obedience. We'll come back to that another day. But I was researching. When I found out, I found out a list of typical responses as to why some people don't give. And I think I have them in your handout right there. But, but number one, I don't think that people really understand why they should give. See, maybe they weren't taught right. Maybe teaching was insufficient in their early part of their Christian life. Or maybe their listening was not good. <laughs> I'm not sure which, where, where the disconnect happened, either on the giver or the listener. But something wasn't done right, probably, if people have a hard time with understanding why giving's important. And, and maybe you're tuning me out right now. Because people have a tendency to tune out when they don't want to hear something. So please don't tune out because this isn't me speaking. This is really the truth of God's word because it's only for your benefit. People don't realize how important it is to God and how God has designed giving to be a central part of our Christian walk. They don't realize that how much of a blessing it is to give and how that it delivers us from selfishness. And selfishness is one of those things that are going to keep us out of heaven. So when you give, understand you're really giving for your, for your own benefit. It's more about you getting right with God than about what you give to the organization. As that little video said, it's about the heart. They don't realize how essential it is to your happiness or to your holiness. Number two. Many people don't tithe because they believe that it all belongs to themselves. They earned it. They worked hard. They studied hard in school. They got the degree. They applied themselves in order to prosper. And yes, they probably did, and that's true. They never consider that what they have is not just because of what their capabilities were, but it was basically because God gave them the capabilities to do that. God gave them the ability to learn. God gave them the ability to accumulate wealth. It wasn't, no man can live outside of God's provision. I don't care who you are. I don't care, I don't care who the man is. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, it says, You may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your, fa to your fathers, as it is this day. So, see, if you think that way, <laughs> if this world thinks that way, you're not the only one that ever has. Because back in Old Testament days, people were already thinking that way, that it was their ability to make the wealth. Therefore, because it was their ability, it was their wealth to control. Well, they had to be corrected early on, and God corrected them in the book of Deuteronomy. Number three, many people think they cannot afford to tithe. Well, actually, we, can af we cannot afford to not tithe. Can I just tell you that? Very, very basically, very open. You think you can't afford to tithe. But in all honesty, if you're not tithing, you're robbing God. You really cannot afford not to tithe. See, 10%... Is to, be giving to, is to be giving to God off the top 
of what you do. It's never yours to begin with. Just understand that. That's, that'll help you a lot if you can understand that it's never mine to begin with. Therefore, it shouldn't be that hard to give what's not mine anyways. And I need to learn that tithing is supernaturally powerful because here's a little kingdom math for you. It, God will sustain and will prosper on the 90% that you have left over when you've given him the first 10%. When you've given him the first 10%, not, not after you've paid your bills, and if, even if you had 10% left over at the end, and say, God, I'm paying you now with the last 10%, that's not what God requires. Remember, God is always, always, always for you. He's never against you. He's never requiring something of you that would be for your harm. So even if this would sound difficult and hard to think that God would require the first 10%, not knowing if I can pay my bills, do you understand who you're talking to here? <laughs> do you understand who's saying the rules? Do you understand that if we trust him and really put our heart where our mouth is and really put our faith in God, that, that he can make my 90% do a lot more than my 100% would be if I didn't give him my first 10%? So number, that takes us to number four. For many people, it's a lack of faith. They just don't believe that God will provide even though he has asked us to test him in this promise. Malachi 3, verses 8 through 11. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up for you the heavens, the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I, God speaking, will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. What a promise is that. How can I even begin to doubt that? The reality is, though there are some here this morning that have never really been instructed in the area of tithing and giving. So it is contrary. And so there's no blame here. There is no um, shame here for you. If, the, if you've never been taught this, how would you know this? It is so contrary to what the world would say because clearly the world is not about giving money to God. So until you're taught, you can't be held accountable. So what this is, this is a teaching of what God requires of us so that you then can exercise this muscle, that you can exercise this new information. Now, some would say that, the, that this is an Old Testament teaching that the tithe is never mentioned in the New Testament, which it is not. The word tithe is not a New Testament word. It's an Old Testament word. The giving, the tenth, the, the, tenth, the tithing, was pre-law. It was established before Moses ever came down with the Ten Commandments. It was, it was established hundreds of years before the law was ever established. Genesis chapter 14, 17 through 20 says this. After Abram, before God changed his name to Abraham, so before the promise of Sarah, before the promise of Isaac, when Abram returned from defeating 
Kendra Lamor, I can't say that word, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, who just won this big victory, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So the tithing concept was established well before the law ever came into action. Abram knew it was God's heart. Somehow he knew it was God's heart that all the plunder that he had received from that big victory, Melchizedek was representing God. He was the priest of God at that point. So he gave him a tenth of the plunder right off the top. So tithing predates the law, and thus it has relevance today, and it will have until Jesus comes back. Understand God hasn't changed. And his purposes for our life are still the same as well. He wants giving to be a joyful thing as a way to worship him and as a way to freely acknowledge who we belong to and who we put our trust in. It's so easy for us to believe in myself and believe in my ability while I have something. (laughs) But God is saying, I want you to learn, put your trust in me. Let me be your provider. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, so some would look at that verse and say, see, we don't have to give the tithe. We don't have to give that because God's not saying, he's saying give what you establish in your heart so that you can be cheerful over it. Well, I don't think that ever in the New Testament Jesus ever reduces the standards of living holy. I don't think he ever says you can do less than previous generations. So this is not a manipulatory trick to try to scam you of your money at all or try to convince you of something. No, what it really is is just understanding who owns what and that God will provide everything for you as you are obedient to him. So the question says now, does God really need your money? Does God really need your money? Well, you know, the Bible says he owns the cattle of a thousand hills and he doesn't need your money. And I've said that many times, but yet, you know, I'm thinking a little different right now because in some research that I've done recently, I see a little different twist on this, a little different angle on this perspective because my, my answer, I'll tell you what my answer is and I'll tell you why. I think my answer is changing to say this, that, that I would say that heaven doesn't need my money, but God's plan on earth very well may. My money means nothing in heavenly currency. But yet what God is trying to accomplish on this earth, he does through people. And that requires, that means my money. So maybe God does require my money. Maybe he does need my money while I'm here on earth. 
Maybe it's a cop-out to say that God doesn't need my money. See, God is not a forger. God does not have a printing press set up someplace that he's just making money someplace. And I I learned this from a gentleman named Wayne Clark, and I read an article that he had written called Tithing and Sacrificial Giving. And let me just read a part of it. It says the tithe is not merely symbolic. It has a purpose. God has a real need of it from us, and sometimes he needs much more than the tithe. God is committed to provide for the poor, the orphan, and the widow. All the cash that God has on earth already resides in our bank accounts. And he intends, to, he intends to provide for the needy from that money. He calls on us to write the checks as he directs. He does not drop money out of the sky or create it out of nothing. God has already deposited plenty of money around the world to accomplish his purposes. We just need to realize that some of the money he planned to use to care for the poor is deposited in our bank accounts. When someone prays to God for help with their desperate financial problems, God begins to look in our direction to see who is going to respond on his behalf. We will all give an account for our stewardship before God in this life and the next. Isaiah told the people of his day that God was angry at them because they failed to observe this principle. I was personally, this is the writer speaking, I was personally convicted when I read where God said that the plunder of the poor was in my house and that I was crushing people and grinding the faces of the poor by withholding the money that God had set aside for them in my accounts. It is specifically addressed to the elders and wealthy leaders of Israel, but it applies to some measure of us as well. He said this in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. The Lord takes his place in court. He rises to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment against the elders and leaders of his people. It is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. See, I I think that's important, that we need to understand that God uses people to help people. And someone might look at this and say, well, yeah, but there was a time in the New Testament where Jesus was, was confronted with paying taxes. And he went down to the river and he says, gather that fish. That fish has got money in it to pay taxes. So all of a sudden, the disciples took that fish out, of the, and there in the mouth of the fish was the money to pay the taxes. Well, where did that money come from? Do you think God coined that coin in that fish's mouth? Or do you think that maybe that a few days before that, somebody dropped some money in the water, and that fish happened to swim along and ate it? What about, what about the ram in the thicket? with Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham's up to sacrifice Isaac. And, and all of a sudden, he's ready to slay Isaac, and the, the, the angel of the Lord stops him and says, no, no, I, I, I see your faith, Abraham. There's a ram in the thicket. Use that for the sacrifice. Did God automatically just create that ram, speak it into existence? Or did that ram, on his own way, find his way up on that mountain earlier in the day and was reaching in to get some leaves out of that thicket and got stuck in it? See, I think God uses natural occurrences much more than just popping things in existence because he doesn't need to. He can plan things out differently. So the money that we have in our accounts is not necessarily just for my pleasure. God needs my money to accomplish what he wants to get done on this earth. And we have to re-realize that maybe we have more power in our hands than what we realize when we say that. 
And, and, and what's wrong with that challenge, by the way? What's wrong with God saying, I want to work through you today? I, I want to work through your obedience today. Is that wrong? Is there anything wrong with that? Is God doing something he shouldn't do when he challenges us to help our, our, our needy brother or just by bringing the tithe into the storehouse? Well, what about the sacrifice of giving? What about the over and above giving side of things? See, if God is so much into us giving, then why does it seem so hard to do sometimes? Is there a sacrificial element to giving? Well, let's read on. Wayne Clark said this about sacrifices and offerings as well. Talking about Old Testament. Some people say that tithing is Old Testament law and has been done away with. What confuses people about the Old Testament sacrifice of lambs as it relates to the principle of redemption is that they know that Jesus came as a permanent sacrifice for sin, negating the need for ongoing sacrifices for sin. In other words, Jesus died once for all. We don't have to, there's no more sacrifices required because Jesus is our sacrifice. God taught mankind in the Old Testament to substitute the death of a lamb for the penalty due to his sins. Jesus' death on the cross paid that debt once and for all for all believers. We no longer need that kind of sacrifice or offering. That is very true. But the Old Testament sacrifice of lambs was done for many reasons other than just blood reasons. While the sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins is accomplished once and for all in Jesus, the sacrificial giving of the tithe to acknowledge God's ownership of our lives was never done away with. If we belong to God, we acknowledge it by sacrificial giving. See, a giving really is declaring, God, you own me. God, you own all that I have. God, I recognize who you are, and I am giving myself in its entirety to you. What was sacrificed? What do we sacrifice? Malachi chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says this. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices. Should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. Does God want your leftovers? Is that good enough? No, it's not. He says, I want the first fruits. God is desiring that we give to him what is valuable to us. See, it's God's purpose to stretch our faith. It's God's purpose to put us in situations that will allow us to get closer to him. And as we stretch our faith in our area of giving, tithing, sacrificial giving over and above the tithe, as we stretch ourselves in these areas, what we're really saying is, God, I trust you. And I let you be my owner. And I surrender myself to you. So the question comes, how much do I trust God? How much do I trust him? It's amazing that God uses money to determine my level of obedience and trust in him. That's my plumb line. If I had a plumb level, the bubble is measured by my level of obedience and my giving. How much do I trust God? Think about it. Think about it in your life. 
And there's many scriptures to go through that, and, and I don't have the time to go through those, but you can read in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and et cetera, how many more scriptures where it says that if we trust God and as we place our trust in God, he's faithful, but how much do I trust him? And here's the thing that really is amazing. Oddly enough, we believe that God will raise us from the dead when we die, but might not provide for us if we tithe. <laughs> does, that ring at, does that ring true at all? That I believe, how many here believe that on resurrection day, if I die before the rapture, that I'm going to be risen with the dead? How many believe that? How many believe that God has the power to raise us from the dead? But yet, I'm just being honest with you, sometimes I don't believe he can take care of me when I'm alive. Wow. Doesn't that send a mixed signal to God? Doesn't that just confuse him to think, wait, guys, I thought you trusted me with your life. And now we're talking about a little thing called money that has no value eternally, and you're having a hard time with this? I know where this is coming from because I've experienced it. I'm not speaking that I've got it figured out, guys. I know how hard it is to struggle with this. I do it just like you do it. So I'm not saying I've got it put together and you don't. Don't hear me in that. Don't, don't, please. But all I'm saying right now is that I just want God to be the owner of me and my wife and my family and this church. And because I love you enough as a pastor of this church, I want to speak God's truth. Not as a way to get your money, but as a way to get your heart. It's all about your heart. How much do you trust him? See, Malachi chapter 3, our, our memory verse for this next coming week says that God is so convinced, so absolutely convinced that he has the ability to take care of you while you're alive. That's the one area he says, test me. Test me in this, says the Lord. He has no question that he can handle you. He has no question that he's got your future in his hand. He's got no question about his ability to prosper you as you will be obedient to him first. But until you're obedient to him first, you take that out of his hand because he cannot super he cannot come above you he will not force himself on you even if it's for your good he will not if you don't be obedient to him and trust him test me in this says the lord so this morning as we close i i just really hope and pray that this message is really a teaching moment not an emotional appeal for your money, but a teaching moment as to why we tithe and why we give over and above the tithe. Because it's really proving to God who owns who. Are you ready this morning? Are you ready to tell God you, that he owns you? Would you close your eyes? Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you, Lord, how you present your truths so clearly. And God, I pray that through this discussion that it was able to come together some way in the hearts of people. God, I just pray the Holy Spirit would make it true to us today that we would know that the tithe is for our benefit, that the sacrificial giving is for our benefit, and that when we do that, you will then use us and our gifts to further the kingdom on earth so that we can be more heavenly effective through our earthly relevance. 
so that we then can have heavenly treasures stored up for us as we are laying our treasure ahead, as we are obediently following you here. And that we really do trust you, Father, with taking care of our daily needs. So God, I just pray now that you would make yourself true and pure and you would make yourself real to all of us this morning as we take that journey with you and as we begin and continue the journey of giving. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name.